right, well, I guess welcome to DMTK Quarantine Edition. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. You can tell significantly less that uh, we don't have all individual recording technology very well. (laughs) Well, we do. It's just, yeah, (laughs) may not be the best. Sound quality is not as good as last episode. We were, yeah, we were just giving you a taste of it. Now you have to deal with this. It's like, ha ha ha! We have this, but we won't use it. Maybe we shouldn't use it. Yeah, we're all, we're all following the rules and staying home and not going near strangers, including each other. Other than those that live together, obviously. Wait, how many strangers do you live with? What's the plan today, Kayla? Well, I think what we could do is start off doing a review of Star Wars, and then we'll go into asking you a bunch of questions about how we totally fucked everything up. Sounds good. So yeah, Star Wars. We just finished playing our Edge of the Empire game, and yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, I'm biased. This was the my entry point into tabletop games, so I love the system. Um, interested in how everybody else found it, uh, especially with me loosely rules mastering with Andrew. And I think I think we took a really fast and loose approach to it, which was a lot of fun. Um, for anybody who's following the the rules of the book precisely, we were probably a little frustrating for them, but um, I, I I like the versatility of the game. Yeah, we really were making up a lot of stuff on the spot, especially since for a while there we were a long time between recording sessions, so we kept forgetting how to play. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I really liked how, I guess, the dice system really worked to sort of narratively flesh out how, um, I guess, how like the battle system works. It's a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, and and like. I know we were more or less just sort of basically taking a person's first initiative after a while and being like, okay, you're the starting point of initiative. We're just going to go around the table and put the enemies in there. But I appreciate that initiative is basically just, okay, the enemies get, get turns, the PCs get turns. And however, um, and like when people have an idea for a move, you can kind of jump into that PC slot and use it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that I've I'm trying to adapt to to our Chef's Night game, and it was kind of a um, it worked out pretty well. I think um, the last time we were in a battle and we used it, so yeah. I honestly I enjoyed the uh, the dice pool compared to like just roll twenty and a target number. It's kind of like this collaborative role between you and the DM and different scenarios mm-hmm. that are happening. Yeah, it feels more interactive in that way. Like, I really appreciate the combat because of that. Just, yeah, it's a lot less just, I go, you go, I go, you go. Yeah, it actually feels opposed. You can hold how hard the check is in your hand when you're rolling. Yeah, definitely. And like Nathan said, I really appreciate the fluid um, initiative. Because, yeah, it allows for things to be a lot more dynamic and like things would be more like in a real fight. Mm-hmm. I uh, I consistently found the 
what the symbols meant confusing, but I like the idea behind um, dice pool. I just I found the the symbols on the those specific dice to be a little confusing in terms of just like the hierarchy of like what they meant. And that might have been, you know, helped by the fact if we actually played a lot more frequently than we did during that game. Definitely. But uh, yeah, no, that that was my only real, I don't even want to call it an issue, but just point of confusion for me was, um, I think just visually they could have been, because there were certain ones that were like, well, this is good, but it's not as good as the other symbol. And, mm-hmm. and the symbols to me looked like they were equally good. You know, like they they both like one of them was like an explosiony kind of symbol, and I'm like, oh, that that must be good, but it it wasn't as good as the like I can't even remember what they looked like. The triumph was like a sword <laughs> and a thing with wings, and yeah, so that that caught me up a bit. But I I do like the idea, like like you say, of of just having a mitt full of dice, meaning a this is better for me, but there's a mitt full of bad dice, so it's a harder thing as well. I think that was really satisfying, more so than just I'm adding a modifier to a d20. Yeah, that's an element of risk to it, which is cool. Yeah, and the the red dice, the DM being able to upgrade that difficulty and and showing that there's actually a sense of danger and and a potential to be significantly harmed is really neat, too. You don't get that with the d20. From a DM point of view, was really into the the force die or the 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 trade that you have to do between good and bad mm-hmm. fate um because when i cashed them all in after you guys were like oh we need this to work uh that was a little bit different than i was expecting it to go <laughs> <laughs> so it just provides more flexibility because then you can say like oh yeah well, no, we actually did this to both sides. It gives the DM some more tools to mess with us and gives us some opportunities to mess with the DM. Yeah, and it builds in a way to retcon that that isn't really built into um, to D&D where that's sort of like a, a comfortability that you have to come to with your table as to how much are you going to allow retcons, whereas this builds in a mechanism for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely kind of got a feeling like a blaze in the dark with that, you know, being able to say this is what we did for prep and that I thought that was cool. Yeah, and I think I don't know if anyone else took any of the um uh the specialty uh skills that were sort of available to us in um in like the supplement books that we had, but um they tie in really well to actually like utilizing those those force like the light and dark pips um mm-hmm. especially with like uh playing as the uh, as the technician um the the specialty that i took after clearing um my talent tree was being able to use two of those pips and re-roll three die basically in a in a pool which you know came in handy for us a, a couple times, like I didn't use it as much as I thought I was going to, but um, there was a couple times that it would, that it really helped out. So it was kind of kind of neat being able to have those skills that really tie into actually utilizing those um, those pips as well. Yeah, and there's a there's a really cool talent tree that uses those pips um, 
it's a character that I played in a different campaign. But once you get to the bottom of that tree, you can use one or two of those pips to bring somebody back from the dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate that Fantasy Flight Games was like, no, nah, we're done. Because that yeah. was a really fun system. So, yeah, provided something that was really unique that a lot of other systems don't offer. A lot of stuff is very similar with just a D20 system style like D&D, where this is entirely different. Uh, so good, some good news on the, uh, on the Fantasy Flight um, front with their RPGs. They actually moved their whole RPG section over to their European distributors, so they will still be continuing to publish them under a different name. Hmm. Um, so we're still going to get all that really good stuff. Uh, and that was just kind of recently announced, I think. Oh, probably just before quarantine. Um, but yeah, uh, so we'll still be getting like Star Wars things, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, all of those other things that, you know, we've been, we kind of have on the list and we haven't yet caught a hold of. So, yeah. Still publishing or still creating new content for? Um, I think probably a little bit of both. Um, okay, good. So yeah. Nice. I like the um I like the skill tree style. And I know that, like you know, the, the comparisons are always D and D, but they're kind of the ones that started this whole thing off forty or fifty years ago, so it's a fair comparison, I think. Um the I like the tree. Uh, I, I like as a player option kind of thing, being able to kind of diverge. Like it reminds me of some of the um, video game RPGs that I've, I've preferred over the years um, rather than, I mean, it sort of takes a tree like structure in D and D, but it, it feels a little bit more prescribed. Like you have to go through these levels and then you get a choice every three or four levels of a thing. Whereas in Star Wars, it was kind of this, you're going through, and at every turn, every time you level up, you can make a choice about what your character is going to be. Yeah, and yeah. I like the XP point by system as well. I like that the XP is something that you can save up. And then uh, in previous campaigns where we played for a long time and leveled up between sessions, if we made it to a rest point where it made sense for us to level up, we were then allowed to, to spend that XP um, however you wanted before the next uh, episode. And I, I find that that allows for a more gradual level up than than the D and D style, like the light flashes around you and you are stronger now. I really like the, Oh, I've got 15 XP for my last session. I'm going to buy a new talent with that is cool to me. Yeah. It feels very organic. Um, <laughs> and you're not like stuck at these milestones. Like, Oh God, I gotta wait till level five before I get new abilities. It's completely up to you how you want to spend that. Mm hmm. So we played um, Star Wars when uh, for our first test session way back when, now. Um, <laughs> that was a while ago. It was. Mm -hmm. um, I, think it's, I guess almost two years now, probably. Yeah. Wow. Mm, Jesus. Yeah, so we played the Star Kit and Amanda did um, the DM. That was DMing for us. And it, obviously, we only played for a couple hours. And I remember enjoying it, but I was like, I wasn't certain how I really felt about it. But having this opportunity to play it a lot more... Um, 
I, yeah, I definitely appreciate the different aspects that it brings for storytelling and just organic growth and stuff. I, I think it's a really different experience and something that the tabletop community needs. Yeah, it can be an overwhelming one to learn for a one-shot. I would definitely recommend planning to do a longer campaign if you're going to pick this one up, just because um, with the the rule set and the dice and everything, like it's it's a bit of an onboarding process, but it definitely has good payoff for for a, a long-running campaign. For sure, yeah, and it's yeah, it's something you want to actually invest time in. And in you know, it's it because it's an established IP. Um, but it's such a big world. Like you don't have, like, you know, you're not going to run into Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. It's its own kind of thing, but it's also a good onboarding point for people who might not be familiar with RPGs, but they are familiar with Star Wars. So they don't have to worry about learning a system and learning the world. They could kind of go, oh, like, mm-hmm. I know, I know this world. I know the rules of this world. And you can just play it in a galaxy far, far away. In a galaxy far, far away. So. Um, I think the I think the nice part is that <clears throat> there are different options for people that want to play in different eras. Um, like Edge of the Empire was, I mean, we we weren't dealing with really Jedi at all, right? Like, um, we we opened up um, the character race options from all of the books to ourselves to use, but we didn't we didn't really focus on, you know, the idea of having, having Jedi around or anything. Um, but if that's a thing that you guys want to do, uh, force and force and destiny is its own book out there that does deal with having, uh, having Jedi in the game. Um, you know, there are, um, the age of rebellion was the one that we, uh, that Amanda was actually doing the starter kit for us, uh, all those years back. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of different sort of stages and times that you can kind of play around with as well. Uh, you can also mix and match. Um, the The core books are really good about since. Well, I guess since the dice system is pretty pretty much the same throughout, you can you can mix and match your different um, professions and and whatnot as well. So, I mean, really anything can happen and anything can be done within this world based on what's out there and what fantasy flight is offered as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of range to, to be able to pull from and to, and to sort of make this your own as well. And there's tons of fan-made content as well. Um, if you get into this game, I highly recommend making your character sheet on swsheets.com. And uh, it has its own um, character sheet built out and really helps with the, the the building process. And then everything that you create is published back for everybody else. So on the front page, there's sort of like the most recently created characters and whatnot. So if you're really looking for something, um, but you don't want to make your own, you just sort of want to browse through what, what other people have created, that's a great uh, resource as well. Yeah, I uh, I ended up using SW Sheets as well, and it was it was super helpful. I liked it. The great thing about the system is that it's super modular. You can just like plug and play pieces as you want them, and like you could play with all three of the different books, the subsystems, if you really wanted to, or you could decide to not play with mm-hmm. any of them. And that that's really cool. And even like um, if you want to play the same class as somebody. You could, it's really easy to customize your character to be entirely different. Like uh, both 
Amanda and I were playing Bounty Hunters and it was a completely different feel. Mm-hmm. I think that just goes back to what Jeff was saying about the uh, sort of the skill trees. Effectively, you get that variety between it. And if you compare it to like 5e where you have your this is your progression. Sure, you can subtype, but that's about it. So, I mean, it, it, it has that similar, obviously, like that similar subclass type feel that D&D does, obviously. But the it's the skill trees that really sort of flesh that out and and make it that much more customizable. Um, I think the cool part is that uh, I think some classes, I don't know if all, I didn't really kind of get too deep into that, but Amanda, I think you were mentioning that once we sort of make our way through a single skill tree, we can start dipping into another one. If we have enough uh, experience, you, you don't even have to wait until you get all the way through the skill tree. You could open up two or three at the beginning. It's just like, there is that, that buy-in cost to open the tree and then, uh, before you get going in it. So you do need to have enough XP to open the tree and then get um, what you want out of it. But you can you can start cross-training almost immediately. No, oh, that's cool. Okay, so the, like that's the thing that you can't really do in, in D&D is you can't have like multiple subclasses from the same profession. Whereas here, you can, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can pull from that tree and you can really kind of almost build your own uh, sub sub-profession instead of just sticking to a single tree, which is really it cool. Always, it always seemed a little weird to me in D&D how you could, if you're a, I don't know, if you're a fighter, you could take a few levels of wizard, but you can't have two subclasses of fighter. Like, you can't mm-hmm. you can't multi-class the same class and get, you know, some of the and I, I guess it represents, you know, going through the specialization, but if I just wanted to go through and do the first three levels of fighter again, and be a fighter slash fighter like why isn't that a an option you know so yeah I, I, I guess i think that is what i like about the the skill trees is is that ability to really customize out the class and it's not, it doesn't feel as much like a class as a just a tree of things that you can learn a skill right? set a skill mm-hmm. set yeah, yeah. you know so yeah, it uh, that system that we just did at Star Wars uh, that really celebrates um, going specific. Like in D anD D, it's all kind of just general. Like, hey, you're this, and kind of sorta, and then the rest is just the rules and how you decide to make them. But Star Wars is meant to go like you were this very very specific group of everything, so very few things will be the same. And I think, you know, just like the the kind of high fantasy element of the Star Wars world lends itself easily to to creating kind of fantastic characters and backstories and everything. Yeah, you have a huge pool of lore to pull from that, like, I feel like any two Star Wars games would not be the same at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, even if you look at um, Amanda's and my... Uh, the prologue, and then you look at the actual group game, completely different feel on both ends. I think it would be a hard, this would be a harder game to put your own homebrew setting into. So I think a lot of it's dependent on the Star Wars lore. Uh, I don't think so. I think you could really just place them anywhere, right? Like you just, you take your characters, you put them on a planet, it doesn't need to be Star Wars. I think it is kind of a jumping off point. But I'm saying, I mean, like trying to convert it to something like fantasy might be a lot of work. Oh, 
Yes, it's still going to be space-based. Yeah, I could easily see it fitting in pretty much any space setting, but yeah. Yeah, but if you didn't necessarily want to play Star Wars and you just wanted to be space-faring pirates, like it would be easy enough to just use um, use the system. Yeah, for instance, any bad guy I made, I didn't... Well, actually, sorry, the one bad guy that I used in the prologue was the only one that was actually had stats in the book. Everything else I made up on the fly. All right, so then on that note, yeah, let's talk about the story and the game and what we did. Andrew, what uh, what did you have planned that we didn't get to? Okay, so give me a second. I have to open up all four of the... Uh, the files that I have of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, God. So originally, uh, as you guys kind of came in and everything was going on, I was expecting, uh, like, I wrote up a whole uh, file just on, like, the, uh, the ship you guys were in and, like, how it all changes. Um, and went completely off the wall the moment that... Somebody <laughs> decided to, I think, punch the captain or something when he when they were in his room, and then he came in, and they were just like, "Nope, <laughs> yep. so completely different." Um, as that, I had. Uh, yeah, I thought we were going to pretend to be playing along there a little bit longer than we did. <laughs> we tried, okay, but I failed my like charisma check or whatever it was. <laughs> Bad set of circumstances, and then everything just went horribly wrong. <laughs> so what are th- some other things that we could have done on that ship, or you were expecting that we might have done? So uh, one of the big things on that ship was actually to go underwater, um, because you had the two aquatic people in it, but the super incredible freaking uh, piloting check completely skipped that entire section. Like, I had... <laughs> I had an entire section where the shield was giving up and you had to send the two aquatic guys out to try and fix stuff and get attacked by like uh, wildlife and stuff like that. But because you guys didn't go under the water, they were just like, nope, this is fine. So I had to to jump into the, the... Well, didn't we blow a hole in the ship really quickly? Like I think even, even before we came close to figuring out that it was maybe a water-safe ship, I think we blew the side of it off. Yeah, the uh, the super gun that that guy had, uh, it did tear a little <laughs> bit in, but I was just going to throw shields on and be like, well, you have a way out, so good luck. You have X amount of time <laughs> before uh, the ship floods, so good luck on everything you need to do. Um, you did but, such a good job of instilling this sort of sense of fear and foreboding about us imminently hitting the water that to me it kind of felt like that was the ticking clock. It was like, we got to get this done before we hit the water, we're all going to die. Yeah, but then we like ended up underwater still and the shields were failing. And I was like, like I remember I was in that moment and I'm like, I don't know if we're going to really have the time to like get out and try and fix anything which is sort of where like the decision to to go more of like the mechanics side of my profession came in instead of being like okay well i guess i'm gonna go swim because i can 
it it kind of came into the oh no, I feel like the the shields are failing faster than we have time to do any sort of fixes anywhere else. So maybe rerouting power to get us out of this jam is a better idea. So like, yeah, it, it, Jeff just hit the nail on the head. Like it was, it, it was more, I think the fear, the fight or flight thing that sort of took us the other way, which was really good. Like I super yeah, appreciated we, that. We knew Andrew wasn't afraid of killing our characters off and the, the rest of the, the arc would have been very different if you two had survived and the rest of us had just drowned on the ship. <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like maybe we do some kind of DMTK side quest where it's just Nathan and Jeff and we've killed everyone else. <laughs> the alternate universe. The darkest timeline. Like, like the DMTK food truck or something, you know, where it's just a better timeline. So what were some of the uh, water creatures that you were going to attack us with? Uh, it was mostly going to be like stingrays and stuff like that and just like weird looking um, monsters. But uh, I really I really had wanted to pull in, push that whole like mind flayers are coming kind of thing from the beginning of the uh, from the arc there. So I was going to have like uh, a couple octopus things just run as soon as like and like you can I was going to show off like a ship that was a nautiloid but like broken because you guys went into the water um, mm. but that didn't work as well as I was expecting it to uh, another thing actually that was a big deal with this was I was expecting you guys to have the ship afterwards uh, I had the stats for it. I had everything ready to go for when you had it. <laughs> and then, and when I wrote it in, I was like, okay, well, this will be their ship, and then they can figure stuff out. And then, uh, such we a generous destroyed it. <laughs> As usual, we destroy yeah. everything. <laughs> and then we cut it in half. <laughs> you, you probably will have noticed if, uh, if you head into like, if you were listening to us. That a couple times I was just like, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so were we supposed to then have that ship still like when we went to um, tests? Like we, were we supposed to drive ourselves to the, the train? Yeah, I was 100% <laughs> expecting you guys to have that ship because you had the two uh, pilots that were really good at being pilots. Um, so I was like, I'll give them a ship right away. And then... I guess then we had to call an Uber. Yeah, the way the the way the dice ended up, it was just like, yeah, bad shit went down. So I had to be like, uh, okay, it looks like we tore into the ceiling. Now, did you have plans to bring Karen into this game at all, or was you know you just obviously made that up with the mouse droid? Uh, that yeah, that was completely. Improv. I had no plan to bring Karen in. I was not expecting him to be anywhere except for, like, he's just an NPC that I can throw in and be like, oh, I understand what's going on. Do this, hurry. Um, but I was actually expecting you guys to deal with the Black Suns a lot more. Like, in my notes here, it was, I had I had Vigo Lenoy um, as the leader of the Black Suns, and, like, I wanted to have interactions with him, with you guys, if you had the ship. And and at one point, there was supposed to be a hologram, like that wrist thing that you saw in 
Attack of the Clones or whatever that one is, where it shows a little hologram on your wrist, and that was going to be Vigo on our monk, who was a Black Suns person. Um, but unfortunately, it just got swept under the rug. Where would we have encountered them? Uh, originally, it was supposed to be to prep the bla- the um, the train heist a little bit more because uh, I I wanted to make the train heist like a big deal, but at the same time, I I the goal was to be like, yeah, you get the train heist, you get the thing, and then you have the the codes to get the hell out of the planet as the nautiloids are coming. Um, and then you guys could have been in space and done whatever you wanted, but uh, it didn't work too well. The Black Sun was uh, pretty much specifically meant to be, oh yeah, the Empire is not going to go after you, but uh, these guys kind of want their ship back. I see. <laughs> What's left of it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't tell us where we're going now, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so then the train heist where we completely drop stealth within five seconds. <laughs> Actually, I kind of was expecting the no stealth approach, but I was expecting more along the lines of you guys were going because I made a lot of droids. I made so many droids to make it like I had a plan of it and I went on Reddit. I was like double checking with people and I'll. Uh, so uh, yeah, all these, all these freaking, all those uh, killer droids were. I was planning on the the two pilots to stay in their ship and fight them as you guys dropped into the train and did a bunch of stuff to kind of fight your way up, like uh, because the monk being able to, or not the monk, the martial artist being in a clo- enclosed space is just like laughing, and I had I had so many uh, different options. Um, ready to go. Like uh, originally, you were supposed to. A couple of you guys with guns were supposed to be fighting on the roof while the the monk was there with the martial artist was inside just kicking ass. Like I had this entire like script almost written in my head, being like, "Yeah, that's that's what I'll probably do." So I'll have this stuff ready, <laughs> and then you guys ended up destroying some of the cars and disconnecting a couple more. <laughs> and we spent so much time on the, uh, on the drones themselves. Cause the drones was only supposed to be like the roof guys and the, and the flying people um, dealing with those as I cut between inside and outside to, to like show the progress going up this train so I had all those ready to happen as the thing was going on. That's why they weren't actually very strong at all, because there were just a bunch of them. <laughs> but, well, that's uh, interesting, because I, I think this this plays into like how terrified we are of you as a GM. Again, there were so many of them, and I have it so ingrained in me from D&D that you just don't split the party, that the idea of leaving a couple people at, up top to deal with that many droids while a few of us go in to deal with whatever unknown horror is awaiting us within was just like unthinkable. <laughs> yep, same feeling. I was like, God, Andrew's gonna fuck us, kill us. <laughs> I I wasn't so against the idea of splitting the party. I just didn't think um like in even from like from an in-character standpoint, it didn't seem like there was enough time to swoop in and kind of drop people off without 
without incurring some sort of like major risk. Mm-hmm. It, it, like it wasn't even like some sort of it was it, it wasn't minor enough or like somewhere in between like a major and minor risk to be able to do it and feel like it would be done safely. So I think that's kind of why uh at least from like trips perspective it probably that that thought didn't come up. And also like those things were taking a beating for a little while. <laughs> yeah. We almost had a pet one. So what was the um marketing trading thing that you'd had planned for Jeff. Sorry, could you say again? You cut out. Um, you were planning to have an element to do with the trading for Jeff? Oh, yeah. So in this, um, in my notes, I have maybe the martial artist not working against the Black Suns as a communicator. Gets called and is given coordinates of something big. Um and asking them why they didn't reach the camp yet and all, all that kind of stuff going along with it. Um, and I had, I had like a little section just happening ready for like, um, like a bluff call almost like where they had to go in and then the trader with this silver tongue has to be like, no, 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 no. Here's what's happening and et cetera uh, and stuff like that. But uh, it just, the I was I was planning to run this a lot longer than what we did, because the system really leans itself to long, um, to long campaigns. Yeah, it's a system for a long campaign. <laughs> so I was expecting this train heist to be one, and then you guys get off the planet, and the Black Suns comes up to you and is like, "Listen, we need to do blah 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 blah." And then you guys could have jumped in and been like, okay, here we go. And done your, uh, your adventure in the, in the blackness of space going random places. I didn't write too much down. I was just like black suns, the martial artist has a communicator in that wrist because he worked for them. So that's the, that's the catch that we can use. But then uh, you guys were like, no, we need to need to move this along. So I, Kind of just ended it at the uh, at the heist itself. Yeah, and that makes sense. But you know me, I'm I'm overly long winded when it comes to silly stories. So I was very happy to be like, oh yeah, well we'll we'll do this, and then we'll go to another planet and do uh, another uh, adventure, and then do something between the planets to show off that that's happening. And then we'll jump over to something else. That's why I was kind of expecting the, the beacon that you guys wanted to be not her. I had it like the nanobot robot. I was not, I, I didn't expect that at all until you guys walked in that, uh, walked into that train and we're like, okay, what do we see? <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> Well, let's make this happen. <laughs> so I was expecting that beacon to end up with you guys as you ran away and then being chased in the into the stars to get said beacon from both Mind Flayers and the Imperials. And then it would have been a cat and mouse kind of thing is what I was expecting to do. But you guys really wanted to cut it shorter, so I, I cut it down pretty heavily. 
Yeah, I'm sad that we couldn't have played the the whole thing as you had it planned. I think I was extra sensitive to it just because it was Dom's world and I didn't want to be hogging sort of the center story arc for too long. Um, Cause I'm, I'm excited to see the world that, that Marlowe came from and, and where Jack's from and where Trip's from, et cetera. And, and so um, as, as much as I wanted to play the whole thing out um, the way, the way you had it planned in such detail, I, I also didn't think it was fair to spend um, too, too long in the in the star wars universe it only seems i i think it only seems a long time because we had the two sessions of our prologue and then we had the three or four sessions of in the group as opposed to and you were the first one that we went to we didn't have a mm -hmm. home world from anyone else yet and for each character i kind of wanted to do like a big damn adventure and then it would have i but if, if you guys, I've noticed that you guys have been like slight, lightly suggesting, hey, hurry the hell up. So I've been slowly <laughs> pulling back and being like, okay, what can I condense to make it just entertaining? It's the hardest part of DMing, right? Is you get so many ideas and there's so many options and you have to figure out how to reel it in. Especially in a, in a situation like DMTK where, we're, where our goal is to jump to system to system to system. I think... Mm -hmm. Our first session, our first season, where we were in the D and D world, that to me feels like the right length of each system that we give, because then it gives each system a long time to see us and and move forward. The only problem with, and and I, I agree that that that's probably the right length to give a system to to try it out. It's just we won't get to play any systems if we give each of them that length and it, so it's that fine balance between like, how can we cover as many systems as we want? Like we've got a list of 20 or 30 and, you know, at six More months like six per feet. system, um, <laughs> it, that's going to take, you know, 20 years, literally 20 years <laughs> to, to get through all 40 systems at six months each. Right. So, um, I, I like playing long multi-year adventures and stuff, but um, it's it's a tough sacrifice because I, I haven't liked saying goodbye to any of the worlds. Like I want to, I want to know more. Even even the um, fiasco world, like I, I just want to know more about what's going on in that world right now. Now that we're gone, like are those people on trial? Like what <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> There's been a convention. Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah no I think we're all definitely part of that same idea of we like long-term stories we like building to long-term things yeah but it is hard when we are trying to explore all these systems but yeah and the cool part about that is always the way you brought in the mind flares this is a good opportunity to talk about that because that's a great way to have some NPCs that's gonna bridge bridge the gap with us because I had no idea that you were gonna do that I don't I don't I'm actually kind of glad that we didn't have to face mind flayers long term and <laughs> we could jump <laughs> to another world right away but but that's just my personal take on mind flayers i mean i have a feeling they're probably going to follow us somewhere like i don't think that's the last we're gonna see oh, of mind flayers. Yeah. <laughs> i'm and, okay with and... just fleeing every time we see mind flayers <laughs> <laughs> yeah you see that nautilus ship and you just look at the 
the nearest uh, Karen character and be like, get us the fuck out of here. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> this, this world's dead now. Bye. <laughs> It's gonna, and, and that's going to be the point where where Marlo discovers that all he needs to do is kill himself, and he just moves on to the next world every time. <laughs> wow! Jesus, wait, is this Kaz? I'm now? out. <laughs> <laughs> nope, don't like this one. Click. But yeah, I think it's going to be really cool, like dealing with them because they're very versatile and they have ways of fucking with us and the ways that we may not anticipate because we're already in places that we're not familiar with. So they kind of have the upper hand when it comes to dealing with them. I love that villain. Mind Flayers and Spelljammer are just amazing villains for me. I love the idea of jumping across realms and being like, hey, we're back. Um, everyone assumes the position because, again, we're taking over where we rightfully belong. <laughs> See, what we could do is we can steal a spell jammer and then go back to those worlds, Jeff. I'm not going to give any spoilers for what's coming up, but our next adventure does take us to space. I hope so. Star Trek is more intense than Star Wars for space. It's actual sci-fi as opposed to the sort of space fantasy setting. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see where it takes us. But yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of funny because... Um, before the, or either uh, during or just after the prelude with uh, Amanda, because she's a super assassin, um, I was like, okay, you're the only one that's like going to register the, the like the big moves that are happening and you're noticing. So I gave her a quick rundown of like, all right, so this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen, and the only reason you know is because, and then I like tapped the stat and I was like, because this is outrageously high <laughs> of the main character that she made. <laughs> so, so she has a little, a couple uh, insights into the, into the overarching story. Well, my character did anyway. Unfortunately, I think I was too dumb to recognize them at the time. <laughs> now, were you always planning to kill Tess? Uh, yes, I was told almost immediately after Tess was introduced that she needs to die or I will not join this group. Like that's, it's just, she's the goal that I am going to go for. Yeah. Unfortunately that needed to happen or else um, Dom would have stayed home. So uh, she, she unfortunately needed to, to go for Dom to continue to adventure with you guys. Makes total sense. Savage. I uh, I yeah. hope that she was an entertaining character, and I hope her death was given the the heaviness, but the immediate kind of like shock as it as I wanted it to portray. Oh no, the shock value of picking up all the fucking uh, dark side to- tokens. You're like, yep, cashing these in. <laughs> oh, definitely. I was completely shocked. Like Amanda, did you expect that, that was happening? Um. I mean, I believe that I told him that Tess had to die, and uh, I know that that is true, but um, I, I still, it still managed to catch me off guard. So it was really well done. Excellent. I was actually really worried about that, uh, that situation, because I was like, this is going <laughs> to feel cheap. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really good. I think all our jaws just hit the floor when that happened. <laughs> None of us were expecting that. Yeah. I was 
I wasn't expecting it, but I know Amanda well enough to know that everything that she creates is really sad. So <laughs> <laughs> didn't seem right to have a happy ending that Amanda had any part in creating. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, you could have kept her alive and then like Dom still would have been pulled away and that would have been like that long term knife twisting which would be kind of terrible <laughs> but also no, I appreciate then, then, the cuz Dom's whole driving factor from the moment you guys landed in hell has been to get home and so I think it was important to get her home and take care of the thing that was anchoring her there in mm. order to not have that be her only motivation going forward. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think plus, it, uh, plus that, in my opinion, was able to give her a reason to be like, what are those purple faced motherfuckers? <laughs> and yeah, how can I she... kill all of them? Yeah, she now has a, a big bad to, to conquer, um, to, to avenge Tessa's death. So she's got, she's got a new big um, adhesive reason to, to move forward now. And I'm, the super I'm assassin has targets. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You got a very spe- set of uh, special skills. You know, you'll use it. <laughs> a with a pencil. I mean, if you basically hate an entire race, that just make dumb racist. <laughs> Xenophobic. It's not, it's not all foreigners. It's just one particular race. Yeah, I guess it's true. I don't like the turn that this has taken. <laughs> A new light on Dom. <laughs> All right, so does anyone have any more questions about Star Wars? Andrew, do you have anything else you want to share with us in that regard? How detailed was the train? Like, was there a little, like, Easter egg for us in each car if we'd spent more time, like, actually going through and talking to people? Like, or were we meant Um, to just go through and blow everything up? Actually, there was was, uh, usually about three or four things in each car. But I only went up to 11 because I had forgotten how many cars we had in said train. So I was like, 11 a safe number. <laughs> so, like, for instance, in uh, I had a list of 1 to 11. And, for instance, number 11, uh, I had it written as temporary barricade is shaken by a sudden gravity tumor. Tremor? Not a tumor. It's not a tumor. Gravity um, tumor. And then in, inside of it, it was supposed to have a recently stolen navigator unit, which would have been able to help if you guys had got into the ship and gone somewhere else. Uh, dated but operational clearance codes, which is just like a bonus little thing. And then each one I tried to introduce a person. And for instance, in number 11, I had a teenage prod- prodigy who counterfeits records to stop a syndicate after an important ally dies. <laughs> Um, Man, and I, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't filled out any of these. I actually used, and I'm going to, I'm going to plug an item here because I really enjoy this. So in a, on a Kickstarter, I did a thing called dungeon discoveries, uh, by Lorsmith. And it's just like a deck of cards with like 
a mix and match thing in between each um, each section. So like it has a place and then it has something in said place that might be interesting. So what I ended up doing for this was one from one to 11, I went through locations. I went through searches, which is usually that little um, the nonsense thing, like the operational clearance code. Um, and then I went through like NBCs and each car from one to 11, I had one of each of those in. And if you guys caught, uh, got sucked into it and like something caught your attention, I was going to uh, expand it out. Very cool. That's super cool. Yeah, that, pro that uh, product is super interesting. I really enjoy it, especially because the only reason that I realized that there would be GIF on this train was because um, I was trying to, so each section I had done the, the place, the thing you find, the, the weird thing you find, and then usually a person. And I was trying to mix them together as I was doing the prep for all of this to being like, okay, what's, how does this all work together? And then I realized that at one point there was a, uh, a, uh, that portal that you guys could have went to. Um, and, and it was mostly a nod to like Matt Colville. That's that scene. But, uh, other than that, I would have a hundred percent just been like, yep. You're now in the Astral Sea back in 5 e again. And all that stuff would have been there because that's where the gift come from. <laughs> so that's where they had to go to. That's great. Yeah, but I had a couple things for each uh, each train car that I filled out. and It could have worked, but uh, it would have been more of a more of a if you guys dropped at the end and like snuck in as opposed to mm -hmm. shoot everything and and kill everything else. Because there were combat encounters that I had written in these two, but I kind of just said no to those because the that drone combat went on for far too long. All right. Any other last words in Star Wars? I love that system. Uh, the only thing that I noticed that I was doing really kind of rough was when we rolled and figured out the good things and the bad things that happened. I was trying to run it a little bit too more. Uh, I was trying to run those a little bit more as opposed to just like giving options. I think, I think we did a good, we found like a good balance though, in the sense of, um, we got to a point where we were like, okay, well, we'll either hand, hand off these things to you or we'll take them. If there's a thing that we know we want to be able to do with like, say advantages or something. Um, and I think we, we got to a point where we were kind of comfortable with that. At least that's how I feel. For me, in the same way that like you're a terrifying DM and I'm so scared that you're going to kill my character, you were also super generous with some of the ways that you would spend the successes and the advantages if we let you. So there were times where like, if I didn't have a very specific thing that I already had in mind for my character, it was like, well, let's see what Andrew's going to let me have happen here because it's probably going to be bigger and cooler than like what I would mention. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just comes down to like trusting the group, I would imagine there. Trusting the group and trusting the DM. It's mm -hmm. a huge mm -hmm. thing in any game like a tabletop. I think this is a great system. I mean, it's built into the system, the sort of cinematic scenes. 
Um, but it's a great system for the cinematic minded. Uh, and Andrew, like you work in film, you enjoy film. So coming at it from a kind of scene by scene moment with these kind of big climactic moments within every encounter, I think is a really good way of approaching it. And it's, it's just always more fun to do something interesting than to just roll a 20 and, and hit, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, hit for more points, but like, wouldn't it be cool if I like jumped off the ceiling and did a backflip in the process? Like I, I'd much rather most of the time in other systems take that cool factor rather than just extra numbers, extra points. And you weren't afraid of letting us play with big items. Like you, you let me handle the flamethrower and like fuck some shit up. And that was really cool. And that's something that um, other DMs would have kept out of the game altogether because it might've been too overpowered or, or been too big. And so that was, that was really neat. Yeah. Hopefully like I, I, like I said, like Jeff was saying, I work in movies. So like, it's pretty much in my mind at all times. So I, Star Wars is a really good system for that kind of situation, but you got to really trust your group and, and, uh, and GM because if it, if it wasn't, if it didn't work that well and you guys were like, can I, like, can I do the thing I want to do as opposed to like the thing you're saying? Cause like, if we're doing the thing you're saying, just write a fucking book. <laughs> like, so it was really, it was, I think it was a good balance for everyone. Mm -hmm. It would be a painful mm -hmm, system sure. to play with kind of a rules lawyery min max type people. And I mean, I have a bias against those people, but there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to play that way. It's just not my style, but I think this would be a, a, a painful system to, to do because there's so much potential. If you just let somebody get away with a little bit of something. It, I don't think it's that it's painful. It's just that the story can be so very cool when you let the rules out a little bit and just play it the way you want to play it. Um, like any of the rule books, you can absolutely rules lawyer them and, and play it exactly that way. But you get the cinematic moments when you don't worry too much about how the squad rules play and just say, cool, you took a shot and you hit everybody in that line of stormtroopers and you let it be big instead of instead of keeping the troops small because that's how they they're built in the system yeah i can agree with that because the soak and the help is so low in star wars that uh that if you were just like oh yeah there's two stormtroopers and we're using the minion rules it would be it would be not as um like as interesting Whereas if there's like a platoon of star stormtroopers and then like, oh yeah, you did one damage, which means like four dudes went down and they really, cause they can't shoot for shit anyways. If they attack, they're only really hitting you with X amount of damage as well. It's a really, I really do like the system, but I, I, I think the fast and loose way that we were running it is probably the way I will always and ever run star Wars, even though like, it's not how it's written as yeah, much as were, it could be. 
there were tons of times when I bit my tongue, like that's not exactly how the rules go. And it's like, but this is more fun this way. So why would I stop the flow of what's happening just to be like, well, it doesn't quite work like that, right? Like what we did with it was very cool. And you you brought up the soak thing and that's something we haven't touched on yet. I totally forgot. I really like soak instead of armor class in Star Wars versus D&D. Um, I really like that you've got sort of this number that you're able to take off of the damage of a hit um, rather than it being a built-in um, difficulty hit or miss. to hit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I really like the uh, soak uh, mechanic. It again lends to, to how organic it feels. But I think the strength of the Star Wars system is how organic it feels and how how kind of, how it's you and your buddies writing a movie as opposed to you and your buddies playing a tabletop game kind of thing is is a, a huge strength of the Star Wars from Fantasy Flight games. Um, it's huge strength from them because, man, having like, yeah, far, medium, short, and melee range as opposed to being like, oh, wait, you can move five feet. I mean, it really <laughs> helps in uh, the cinema, in the in the what of the mind, um, theater of the mind. That's the word I'm looking for. Like uh, cinema of the mind. It feels a little bit more formal and pretentious. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to play a game with Andrew where every rule you dictate is in that voice. Well, you can move five feet. <laughs> well, you hit for a 10, but he has 15 health. <laughs> I'm not okay right. with this. <laughs> no. You guys have fun. All right. You know, right. So <laughs> we've wrapped up Star Wars now. Our next game is going to be Star Trek, and Jeff will be DMing. Anything you want to give us a hint at or about what that's going to look like? Uh, that um, implies that I have an idea uh, of what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> no, I, I. So one of the things I, um, I actually bought um, the starter set or or beginner set uh and it comes with some uh pre-gen characters and a couple of modules to run through to kind of introduce the uh rules i'm not going to run those modules because i I have a bit of an idea that plays in with the the grander dmtk um arc but i am going to take a little bit from them because i think they're they're kind of a good way to there's a lot of, of rules. Um, the system is neat, and we'll go into that in that session. Um, it's very you are a, everyone's a Starfleet officer. Uh, you can play whatever race you want, but it, it's very much steeped in sort of Starfleet uh, lore. Um, and so I think the DMTK characters will have to take a little bit of a backseat to their sort of Star Wars personas because so much of it is based on the knowledge that those characters would have that it would get tiresome for the entire crew for the whole session to be running around going like, I don't know how to put up shields and things like that. Because like every everything's based on the fact that you went to Starfleet Academy. You know what you're doing. Um, so I, I think... For me, my my challenge will be finding a creative way of of getting the DMTK characters into the heads of. I think it'll be a little bit like a fiasco 
scenario where there's kind of competing personalities. Um, but the DMTK people might have to take a bit of a backseat to the Star Trek world characters. I think you said that we were going to do um, the next generation as the era that we we're playing in. Yeah, so the, the era that I am kind of basing this around is somewhere kind of after the end of the next generation movies. Um, so somewhere between then and when, if anyone's watched it yet, Star Trek Picard starts. So uh, good. It, it, it's very good. I, we, we very much enjoyed it, but I don't want to get into that world because that seems like that's going to be the future of Trek anyway. Like they're going to be building out that era a bit more. Um, but I think there's a, a period of about 20 years between the end of Star Trek Nemesis and the beginning of Picard um, that's lots to play with. We're not going to really cross paths with anyone established, much like in Star Wars. It's going to be a lot more just being in the world. Um, so I have a bit of an idea. I want to bring in some of my personal favorite bits. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Um, and we also just recently went through a bit of a greatest hits tour of Next Generation uh, in preparation to watch Star Trek Picard. Uh, so I have a pretty good idea, kind of story-wise, of what I want to do, but I don't have the specifics quite ironed out yet. Nor would I tell you now anyway. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a neat, it's a neat system. Um, it kind of has a bit of a dice pool element to it um it's almost like rolling advantage with x number of dice so typically it's two um and you you just need to get below a value on one of them actually that's not true you need to get below a value on whatever the difficulty is so if the difficulty is three you need to get below a certain value on three rolls so if you've got five dice and you get below it on three, then you succeed. If not, you fail. And those numbers are all based on your stats and et cetera. But the rolling under is, I think, the thing that's going to take the most getting used to for me because I'm so used to high being the good value. We did that in another system, though. Was that Blades in the Dark where you had to roll under? Uh, I think uh, it's the end of the world. End of the world. End of the world. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, end of the world. Yeah, I think. Rolling under on a D6 isn't so hard because there's so many other situations where I've rolled D6s in non-RPG, but the D20, rolling under on a D20 for me uh, is celebrating a one is tough. You know, <laughs> seeing a one and being like, yeah, and seeing a 20 and, and adjusting from that, oh, 20s are bad here. Um, <laughs> that will be uh, weird, yeah. All of Cthulhu does the same thing, though. You have to go under Call of Cthulhu, and it, and it yeah. makes sense. It it actually, you know, you have a stat, and the higher your stat is, the more room under that stat there is, and so it maps very well to this sort of idea of, okay, if you've got a fifteen in something, you just need to roll the dice under a fifteen, and you succeed, rather than having to add things and compare it to another thing. Mm -hmm. um, it mathematically is is very light, uh, so I like that. Um, be interesting. It, it, I think it's going to be a, a neat system. Um, I just want to make sure I give it its uh, 
it's due because it, they've put a lot of work into all the aspects of it. And I just want to, I don't want to go too deep down any one rabbit hole, but I do want to touch on a lot of the um, aspects of the system. I'm also just excited to basically write Star Trek fanfic. So <laughs> not only write Star Trek fanfic, but be celebrated by people listening. Hmm. I'm still not convinced people listen to this. They do. I don't know who they are, but they do. And we love you. <laughs> we sure do. At us if you actually listen to this. <laughs> they won't. They never do. But the They'll downloads are there. The proof is there. It's just Nathan <laughs> changing his VPN. <laughs> well, the middle is there for time. six hours crying. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Oof. All right. Anything else we want to cover? Nope. I need to pee, but I don't think you guys need to know that. Yeah, not really <laughs> relevant to the recording. We but did. Yeah. We absolutely did. Cool. I think you can kick Craig now. Yeah. All right. Kick Craig. Craig. <laughs>